BAFTA Selects gives a well-known screen personality the opportunity to select a BAFTA winning or nominated film or TV show and then discuss why it's inspired them. And they're tying it in this year with Female First, the photographic exhibition, which some of you will have seen already. So they're inviting exceptional women to take part. Mira, that means that you are an exceptional woman. Um, and I'm not going to give you a long list of Mira's yeah, credits. Please don't. Well, we'd be here all night, basically, <laughs> because they are so many and so varied. But I will just say what you've done in the last year, at least, because it culminates in something. And I will have missed things. But big screen, Paddington 2. Uh, TV, Riviera. And then we've just seen the most powerful and moving performance where you were playing Goldie in the split. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, Miss Hannigan on stage in the West End. Um, so actress, writer, playwright, singer, journalist, producer, but most of all comedian. And therefore choosing an absolute comedy classic like When Harry Met Sally. It seems obvious on so many levels, but why? But why? Oh, wow. Where do you start? Um, it's what a joy to see it on the big screen, actually. I just, yeah. And it hasn't dated. No. It really hasn't. I, I mean, it's, I, I still think it has some of the best killer lines of any comedy film. Um, I don't know, I guess, why this one? Well, I saw it when it first came out. Which was what year? 1989. And what are you wearing today? <laughs> this suit was made for me in 1989, so I dug it out so I could put it on. <laughs> Um, yeah, 1989. Uh, funnily enough, I think I, I was... I was what, do you know what month it came out? I should, anyone know what month it came out? December. December. Well done. Thank was, you very much. Um, it was summer release in the States. December. Released, um, I think it was Neymar. Wow, well done. Good. So I had been married myself for a few months. So I remember it for lots and lots of reasons. I was in a romantic haze myself. But also for me, it... I just thought this was a step up in the rom-com. It was the first, and I've seen a lot of rom-coms, um, and in a lot of ways it does remind me of the classic sort of Howard Hawks, you know, it's very quick fire, mm. brilliant. Uh, sort of ditzy girl meets, you know, smooth guy kind of comedies. But for me, this one was the first one where I really felt that the female gaze was so strong in a rom-com that you really got to know what women were thinking, the way that women spoke to each other when the men weren't there. Um, it was, and also at the same time, knowing what the men were saying yeah. as well. But yeah. somehow she worms her way into both worlds so brilliantly. And the whole premise of can men and women be friends, which seemed to me was a very salient topic at that time, and the sort of first big wave of feminism was going into, you know, into a, another phase. So if it, Apart from the fact it's a, it's a genius script and you love the characters, uh, for me, that's what it was. It was that Nora Ephron wrote it like we felt it and said it, and she put it out there. So very true. And also, you, you began by saying it didn't date. I mean, that whole thing about whether men and women can still, you know, be together and be just friends, I think that's, it's perennial, like so yeah. many of those parts. What point of your career were you at? when you first saw this? Oh, I just I more or less just started. I think I've been, been acting about three or four years. I think that year maybe was the 
think it was that was the year I was at the National for the first time, maybe. So doing a lot of theatre. I'd hardly done any television at all. But did, were you being funny in the theatre? Did you know at that point that you had funny bones? You probably uh, knew since you were a child. Yeah, uh, my, my parents call it showing off, but uh, <laughs> I called it comedy. Um, yeah, uh, yes, I've been doing lots of sort of comedy sketches, I mm. suppose. You know, goodness gracious me, obviously, was some way off. I was probably building up to the real McCoy which was the first comedy sketch I did. But I'd certainly been doing a lot of characters, but I had nowhere to put them. Yeah. That was the frustrating thing. I was writing all these sort of monologues and sketches, and where did you perform them? Who, who was the audience? Where was the audience for it? So it was really weird. I was, yeah, I was writing the stuff. I was mainly doing it in the bedroom in front of my <laughs> mirror. <laughs> did you, uh, at that point, take influence from the way Nora Ephron was writing. Was this a huge influence on the way you approached either acting or writing characters? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think that about all Nora's writing, actually. And it just got better and better as she, she got older. Um, but yeah, for me, this was, it was something new and acerbic and wisecracking and ballsy and, mm. no, I should say ovary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that there was just something very unapologetic about the way she sliced into um, the nub of what the relationships between men and women were. But she was never cruel. She was, she always did it with the best jokes. And I loved that mixture of sort of empathy, but absolutely honest and sometimes bitter truth. But you, you always take it because she, she puts these... I mean, the dialogue in this film is just... It's sublime. And I suppose the other thing is interesting that she, she really honed in on human foibles and idiosyncrasies. Yeah. And we recognised ourselves in, in so many things but didn't actually feel stupid. Yeah. Where does, how do you do that? Well, I think the fact that she, was a, a, she started out as a journalist, I think, made... Uh, I think this is why a lot of her comedy is so real and rooted in, in, in reality. I mean, she grew up in a house full of writers. Both her parents were screenwriters, and she had three sisters. So there's four of them. They all became writers. Mm. It's a very sort of competitive, artistic household. Um, and then she started off as a as journalist, and uh, she wrote for the New York Post, and was a very celebrated columnist. And by, by this point, she I think she'd been through the very... Messy divorce. She'd been through the divorce with Carl Bernstein by then, mm -hmm. I think. I'm going to look at you because you're, you're the, the expert. expert. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I think Had he left her by then? I do not remember his private wife after. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. But I think it was... Um, or maybe... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but um, <laughs> the whole idea for When Harry Met Sally came about... She knew Rob Reiner really well, they were old friends, and um, he pitched her some idea in a restaurant, and he, she didn't like that much, so they met again, and then he just split up with Penny Marshall. Mm -hmm. And he was doing the man, slightly older man, on the dating market again. Yeah. And he was also um, very close friends with Billy Crystal, so she would listen to the men talking about what it was like dating women, and, and she burrowed in there like the good journalist she was and she said how do what do men really say about women when we're not there <laughs> I just want you to talk I'm going to record you and she did um, and because they were such good friends they let her do that and then you know one of my favorite bits in this film is, is the inserts of all those amazing oh, yeah. um, old couples talking about how they met and you realize that people meet in, meet in a million different ways and it's all luck and it's all 
you know, about timing. And those were based on, while she was writing the film, she went and interviewed lots and lots of couples. And that's, I think, her journalistic background, mm. plus obviously her amazing ability to write and her and empathy and her sharp eye. So she transcribed those interviews and put them in the mouths of actors. So all the people you, you know, these little stories that you hear are real stories. Real stories, acted so beautifully. Acted so beautifully. Uh, Rob Reiner, outstanding director of comedy. Yeah. And do you, do you know how he has achieved what he's achieved with this film? Or is it actually because of her writing? Is it col a collaboration? What do you think it is? What's the magic formula? What's the magic formula? I think it's a, a mixture of lots of different things. I mean, of course, it all starts with the script. Mm. You know, you, you, you can't do anything if you've got a dud script. If you get a great script like this, you can make something brilliant. They knew each other really well. Mm. They knew the ins and outs of their various relationships. I'm sure the discussions in script development and on set were probably amazing to listen to. Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner were great friends, although he wasn't first choice, actually. It was Albert Brooks. Oh. That would have been a very different film. Um, uh, and I think the, Billy Crystal, casting Billy Crystal, who was so, you know, he's not the natural choice for a romantic lead, but I completely adore him in this. Yeah. Um, and he improvised a lot, and Rob encouraged that, as did Nora. She wasn't really precious about the script. They had the structure and they had the killer lines but for example the very famous scene the uh baking it scene in in the restaurant which is everyone you know the one have you had moments like that what? i don't mean having an orgasm I was... <laughs> no no um it's getting very personal suddenly uh, no, i was um, thinking as an actress having to abs because i was mentioning this earlier i imagine yeah that comedy acting for a scene like that for example yeah you have to so commit to yourself. You totally have to go for it. But that is mm -hmm. much harder to my mind than perhaps a weeping tragedy. I'm, yeah. But tell me. Oh, yeah, I think comedy is much harder. I, re I really do. And I think that's why a lot of actors that start doing comedy and, and switch to so-called straight acting do it really well, but it's much harder the other way to do around. it the other way around. So do you think you have to have funny bones? I come back to that again then in some ways. It's like having musical instincts. I think comedy is so, like, so much like music. It's about understanding timing and rhythm mm. and sensing where the gag is. And you know what makes that, that um, orgasm scene so brilliant is, is the way that Meg Ryan comes out of it. Mm. Having done all of that, yeah. and then she just, just picks up the fork and eats the salad. And that's genius, and she did that. So she added um, the way the whole thing was timed. Um, so it is, yeah, it's, it's definitely a rhythmic thing. I'm not sure, I'm not sure you can teach it if you That's don't what have I it. Wonder. But I think if you have it, you can hone it. Yeah. And you hone it more than any other way than performing in front of a live audience. That is really where you learn it. Even though when you move to film, you have to probably make it smaller. Of course. But you've got to imagine where the, where the audience in the cinema are laughing when you time it. Do you do that when you're interpreting a scene? Do you think, where am I landing there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you know, when it doesn't work, it's really embarrassing because you leave the gap and everyone's going like that. <laughs> um, so sometimes that doesn't work, but yeah. And Billy Crystal, of course, you know, did a lot of live so performance. So you were talking about how they knew each other really well, mm. Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron. In your life, because we are talking about you as much as this film, 
working with Sanj, Sanjeev Bhaskar, your husband, and before he was your husband, as part of a really great comedy unit, does that help that you know somebody so well that you can tap into things that somebody else would? Um, or can it be a hindrance? I don't know, actually. I think it depends on the material. So when I think with sketch comedy, that it's so quick. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to hit the ground running. You have the audience have to know what the character is within five seconds of you opening your mouth. Because you've probably only got a minute. Yeah, or even two, you know, two, two is a long comedy sketch. Um, and I look at Goodness Gracious now, and their sketches are long compared to modern comedy. I mean, our attention spans and our, have got much shorter, and we're much more literate about yeah. gags. I think that's why audience comedy's gone out of fashion. I think, you know, our, our honing skills have got so precise, our canvas has got so small, that um, mockumentary-style comedy is mostly what people do now because we see a gag coming so quickly. When, uh, no, I mean, you know the story better than I do, uh, the whole phrase about, you know, everything is copy, yeah. or everybody's copy. Uh, that's, do, you, do you want to just talk about that for a moment? Tell me how that really works and whether you use that. It really does. It really does. Um, I don't know if you've seen, anyone seen the fantastic documentary I think it's called Everything is Copy. Yeah. About Nora, made by her son um, after she died. Uh, and Everything is Copy is what her mother used to say. Um, and her mother was a troubled woman. She suffered from mental illness. She died of cirrhosis of, of the liver eventually. And it was a, you know, obviously a brilliant but, but troubled woman. And, and quite in the shadow of her husband, I think, probably as good a writer. But of course, a woman in Hollywood in those days wouldn't. You had to have a co-credit with a, with a bloke. There were no single female comedy writers. And that Nora was brought up with that. And actually, it's what makes her writing so brilliant. Mm. Um, one of the people in the film said about heartburn, and, and I don't, I'm sure you, most of you know, but Nora's, Nora was married to Carl Bernstein, mm. who was really the love of her life. And he left her, had an affair with another woman, and left her while she was five months pregnant and had a two-year-old. Nice. Um, and she was on the floor. It completely floored her. And one of her friends said, yeah, but she used it. She, she, she cried for six months and she wrote it funny. Yeah. And Heartburn is a brilliant book. Um, and that's what she learned to do. She learned to convert the pain into gold because she writes it from a really deep place as a woman. And I'm... That, you know, I think that's what great writers do. It's certainly what I think always saves you in those awful situations where something terrible is happening to mm. you. You know, your husband's left you, your, somebody's died. Even in those most extreme situations, if you're a writer or an actor or an artist, there is a little tiny bit of you standing outside going, I, I must remember how the snot is coming out of my nose here. If I ever have to play a scene like that. I must remember what my mother just said to me that really broke my heart, because I said, I'm great mind. Um, and you do, you're, an, you, you're a magpie. Yeah. But it makes the pain bearable to know that it's going to go on somewhere for people to watch and go, I felt that. Mm. You've made me feel better because you've shared that with me. So it's never wasted. Because not all actors and actresses are writers as well, let alone all the other things that you do, um, I, I suppose you can't really examine 
how one feeds the other. But is it is it totally separate for you in your life? When you look at a role, if you're reading a script for the first time, do you see it from the point of view as you as an actress solely? Do you look at the writing? I, can you divide it all up, or is it all one thing for you because you do both? I just count my lines, darling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not until scene five. Not doing that. Um, no, you always write the script. Always. Yeah. I think, because I, I do write, not as often as I would like to, and not as well as I would like to, but because I do write, I have real reverence for any script that lands on me, because I know the back-breaking work that has yeah. gone into that script and how much a writer has achieved just to get the script to my lap, whether it's a play or, you know, they've already beaten the odds to actually have the thing there. So I try and treat it with as, as much reverence as I can. And I happily do so-called small parts in great scripts. I would much rather do that because for me, it absolutely starts with app or every time and then it's about who are you working with and uh, when we look at something like when Harry met Sally some of the situations and the settings that the characters are in make for the best comedy moments yeah. um, do, is there anything that stands out for you are there scenes in there where you think that's so much to do with the setting Oh, well, that great scene where Harry's talking about his heartbreak and having to do the Mexican wave is just the most brilliant <laughs> juxtaposition. Isn't it? Juxtaposition. Yes, yeah. I, I, the karaoke machine. Yeah. Just yeah. at the worst point. I mean, she, ha you know, she chooses those very well. And then there are just, you know, there are just moments that are really sort of heartbreaking, actually. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that whole section about I spy a family. You know, and I, I thought that was really brave of her to write that. That's what I mean about being really honest, that, you know, that there's, a, there's, no, there's a, not a lot of feminist women that would admit to that, that that is also a part of your makeup, that you want to get married and have babies. Yeah. You couldn't say that in 1982. You'd be lynched. But she said it. So, I mean, do you think that she was an authentic writer? Was she always coming straight from the heart? From her world, yeah. I mean, of course, you can take a step back and go, you know what, there were two black women in there and they were both waitresses, okay. You know, it was 1989. Yes. So there's a whole other thing about, yes, a privileged, white, mm. smart, East Coast, West Coast crowd. I, I, I can take a step back from that and go, she, she was an amazing writer and... She told, she looked at men and women with the same BDI and also compassionately. Mm. You know, that whole great scene where they both just slept with each other and it's a split screen and they're both on the phone to their respective. Yeah. And then at the end, she said, tell me I never have to be out there again. Mm. I get that. Yeah. I, I got that. That was, that's a lot of women's stories. When, um, when we sit and just start seeing the film and the music kicks in, you are already on a journey, yeah. aren't you? Music is so incredibly important to a film. And Mira sings great jazz. I'm sure some of you know that already. Mm. And we were sitting next to each other for this, and you, I could hear her humming along. <laughs> I mean, how important is the use of the music in this to you? I, I can't imagine the film without that soundtrack. Um, you know, and Woody Allen did similar things. Very similar. Yeah, very similar things. But um, I don't know, for me, this... I just like where they've placed the music. It's sort of... For, 
there's a sort of warmth and nostalgia about it. You know, she obviously loved New York in the way that Woody Allen's always sort of New York as a character in his films, but for me, it doesn't dominate the way that that did. Mm. You know, it comes in and out very slowly. I don't think it's used in a schmaltzy way, I think, because she's chosen classic jazz and she's very careful. Oh, so I'd say Rob Ryan is very careful yes. about where it's placed. And, you know, I like the point, I like the fact that she pulls back from the, almost, the, you know, the big reunion at the end. When Harry runs and meets her, and it's the chimes. And I remember the first time I watched it thinking, are they going to kiss on the chimes? Of course they are. And they don't. No, yeah. And they don't. She turns around and says, it doesn't work like this. Mm. It does not work this way. And there's a couple of points in the film where the, you know, the music's going in. She can really go for the sentimental jugular, she and Rob. And she doesn't. Mm. She'll go for the smart rather than the sentimental. And I, I kind of like that. And is that something you've employed in your work as well? Oh, my God, don't even put me in this accent. This is Nora bleeding Ephron, Jesus. Um, if only. Uh, how big a difference is there writing for television, writing for the stage and writing for film from your experience? Well, I've never really written anything for the stage. No. Well, what about the book for Bombay Dreams and things like that? Yeah, but that, I suppose that wasn't a, an authored work. You know, I was working I from see, an existing... Yeah, yeah an existing outline. Um, and I think writing for the stage is the hardest medium, actually. I, I think it is. And why is that? Um, there's nowhere to hide and nowhere to blame. No one to blame. I suppose you can blame the actors and the director, but that would be very... Churlish. Know, it would be very churlish. <laughs> um, actually, I suppose it's the same in a novel. You know, you are quite exposed as a novel. There is something about being able to fill an empty space just with your words, which I think is astonishingly difficult. Um, I've never dared to really get in there. I don't think I, I, don't think I could do that. Oh, who knows? No. Plenty. I'll leave that to Tanika Gupta, who's in the audience. Yeah, Tanika's here waiting. Um, um, do, when I uh, knew that I was going to be chatting to Mira afterwards, I, I watched this on the small screen on my laptop. And yes, I thought, oh, wow, yes, look, I've forgotten all these moments. It's fantastic. But sitting here, seeing it with an audience, you are infected in a complete, aren't you? Completely different way. Yeah. And I think that you've given us such a great gift in choosing this film. It took us through so many emotions. Yeah. Did you read, because I wonder, were you conflicted as to what to choose? You could have chosen anything for today, couldn't you? Gosh, it, there was, well, I mean, there should be a much bigger list of women that were our BAFTA nominated. <laughs> You know, but hopefully that will change in the future. Um, I just, I wanted to, I want, you know, I, I wanted to celebrate women in comedy, actually, mm. particularly, because A, there aren't that many, and there certainly weren't in 1989, and B, you know, comedy is so downgraded often. It's so rare that a, a comedy will win Best Picture at, yeah. at the Oscars, for example, or, or the BAFTAs even. Somehow people think that comedy is the lighter end of the market. And actually, it's the hardest, it's the hardest thing to write a good film comedy. It really is. And that, you know, for those two reasons, I wanted to choose it. But also, you know, nostalgia too. You know, remembering what I was like at that age and remembering, looking at this. And, I, you know, at the time, Victoria Wood was around, French and Saunders were around, and there were women becoming auteurs of mm -hmm. their own work. And the work was unapologetic unapologetically female-centred. Um, and for me, that was so exciting that there were voices like this 
that could talk about being women in a frank and funny and really smart way. So if you had to give us the reasons you think a film is good or what you look for in a, in a good film, what would they be? What do you have to come out of a cinema feeling to, to know you've had a great film experience? What is it for you? That I haven't missed the popcorn. <laughs> and I didn't today. No. Um, oh, that's such a broad question. I felt... I suppose you feel that some part of your world has slightly shifted. Mm. Just slightly. Yeah. I don't think a film can ever solve a problem, but if it opens up a debate, if it opens up a questioning, mm -hmm. if it's aspirational in your soul somewhere, I did come out thinking, I want to write like you and I'm still trying. But so that's great. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, and you know, I love, I love popcorny junk films. You know, it doesn't have to. The earth doesn't have to move. I love having a, just a great old mooch in the movies too, but I think the great films, the ones that stay with you, the ones where you came out of the cinema and just felt the world had shifted a tiny little bit on its axis. I think that's a wonderful way of approaching it. Um, I can hear lots of you nodding and grunting grunt and going, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Do any of you have questions for Mira? Anybody want to say anything about the film? If you do, ah, oh, late, is it late? Hello. Hi. Well yes, done. It is. <laughs> Shelley, sorry, I've been talking about Nora all the time. Yes, let's talk about I did. Nora. I talked about the orgasm scene and yep. how brilliant she, she did that. Yeah, she's superb in it. She is superb in it. I mean, they're both at the top of their game. Yeah. Um, and again, how many women at that point were given roles, roles like, like that? that. It was quite remarkable, wasn't it? Yeah. And the fact that it goes over years, you know, I also love that about the film. You see the progression of but their it was relationship. A, a gentle progression, wasn't it? It was mm. none of that, let's age them up 30 years, which no. you never believe in, do you? No. There's another story I just want to bring up, another story about Billy Crystal brought up about the royal premiere of When Harry Met Sally, where um, basically when they got to the orgasm scene, the whole audience was looking back at Princess Diana, wondering <laughs> what she was saying. Um, but what's also, just one other thing, is that um, 1989 was actually the year of Batman and, and um, Indiana Jones. Huge and the funny thing is, is this and Dead Poets Society were the actual alternative to it. I mean, I'm trying to remember what the big film was in. I think this actually... There was Ghostbusters 2 and then this, and I think this one re was the number one in the UK, so it's a reflection, and it still works today. I mean, as an older viewer, I mean, mm. I appreciate this a lot more because now I watch movies and I, I tend to listen to things a bit more. And the funny thing is, is at the time, critics griped that this was a Woody Allen ripoff. In a way, it was similar in some ways to what it was, but it, the good thing of importance of a good movie is that it stands on its own two feet. I mean, it's really good to see it here tonight, so thank you for bringing hey, it thank together. you. Could you pleasure. pass the microphone ahead? Okay, Can I have two more anecdotes about what I remember? Um, yes. Firstly, when they played the, this film to test audiences and the, and the orgasm scene came on, Nora Ephron noted this, all of the women fell about laughing and all of the men sat like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think says it all. <laughs> and also, in the first version of this, <laughs> Harry and Sally don't get together at the end. Can you imagine that? I, would, I know. Well, wait, would, how would you... I would quite like that. Well, yeah. both... But, well, Nora, Nora apparently said, that would be more realistic. And Rob said, 
but it's the movies. Mm. And Rob had just, on the course of this film, met the woman he would eventually marry. Right. So he was probably in a bit of a romantic bug himself. <laughs> but anyway, two interesting anecdotes. But thank you. You've got the mic. Hi. 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 Um, so my question is around the fact that, I mean, this is a brilliant choice. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'm from Caramel Film Club. We're from Caramel Film Club, in fact. So we come out and, and watch films. But I wondered if you didn't have the restriction of picking a BAFTA-nominated film, what film possibly would you have picked just to kind of let you off the hook as a second choice? As a second yeah. choice? <gasps> Does it have to be a film or can it be TV? It could because be actually TV. actually, this is TV as well. So that opens it up a bit. Oh, this is TV as well. Yes, you could have chosen work for TV, couldn't you, Claire? Yep. There you go. Gosh. That's really tricky. Maybe Monsoon Wedding. Mm -hmm. Ah. Which I would love to see again on the big screen. I really and why love that. that film in particular? Oh my gosh! <laughs> For me, it was like it was like watching a home video. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a middle-class Punjabi Hindu family in Delhi at a wedding, um, and also I think just what Mira and I did with that film and the story she told in that film, um, and the way it was shot. I mean, the whole thing. I think it's a I think it's a fantastic achievement. And in the middle of all that, she also manages to uncover hidden abuse in an Indian family. Yeah. And there's not many filmmakers that can weave that into a wedding and still make it feel like it's not tacked on, that it's absolutely integral. So I think it's a beautiful film. Thank you. Good question. Thank you so much. Uh, anybody else got a question for Mira? If you've got somebody up there. Claire's legging it. Thank you. How hard is it to put yourself on it's tape? It's the vilest thing in the world, and I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Um, it's increasingly how they cast things now. I know. Mm. Mm. It's, yeah, you know, I'm someone that finds texting difficult, so having to self-tape is really challenging. <laughs> and then having to act on top of it. But I suppose the advantage is that you don't do a bad audition because you could send your best take, no? Yes, of course. Although, funnily enough, the, the last job I got, which unfortunately I couldn't do because of a date clash, I'd forgotten about it and I really didn't want to do it. And I, and I literally did one take really grumpily. And you got it. <laughs> that must tell you something. You always get the jobs you're not really bothered about. It's funny, that. But that's true, isn't it? They yeah. say don't care too much. Yeah, yeah. Leave yeah. it behind you. Yeah. Maybe that's the same in love. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you love something, yeah, let it go. Right, yes. <laughs> Anybody else got a question for Mira before we wrap up? Over there. Oh, there's quite a few. One, and, and, and I will come to you. There's two of you. Should we go to the back first? Um, so, yeah, you spoke about... Um, the importance of script writing and then you talked about Woody Allen with his improvisation a bit. So I'm like, what do you think is the best balance in terms of not being too scripted and like letting the artist be creative but also, yeah, maintain the importance of a good script? Good question. Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, I don't know how many secrets I'm giving away but, you know, well, certainly with, with the Woody Allen scripts, um, you only get your tiny little bit. I mean, and this increasingly happens too with a lot of the sort of franchises. You have to sign all kinds of NDAs before you are even allowed to sniff a script. And 
you will get your your lines and that's it so you know you're sort of saying yes to something you don't know what the rest of the film is mm. um so there are very different kinds of you know really depends on the genre and then the situation you know, with Woody Allen, everybody knows that he works sort of that way. So when you get, it's very skeletal, the, the script you get. And you know when you get it, this is, it's literally a framework. So it will be unfair to go, well, that's not a very funny line because, I mean, there are, there are, you know, the ones he wants to keep are in there, but they don't necessarily, it's not necessarily a finished scene sometimes. On the other hand, with, you know, a lot of other scripts, you. The thing is, when you're trying to get money, that is the thing that people are reading in order for you to get money. So, for me, I would, I would rather see a finished script. Yeah. And if you don't, it's because the film's happening, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, it's the next Marvel film, or it's this, or it's that director that is so big, they've got all the money, so they can do what the hell they want. They don't have to send a script round to get it approved. But generally, for 99% of the business, it is about what is that, what, is, what are you getting? Yeah. So it is important as a calling card, absolutely it is, yeah. The question over here. Hi. Hi, and thanks very much for a great choice and a really interesting Q&A. Um, I think there's a pleasing symmetry in the fact that, that Goldie, your most recent hit character, is at a different... Where are your... I'm you up are, here. Sorry, there. Not there, um, at, is at, at the end of a relationship, and you played her so strong, so sassy. I mean... She, I just fell in love with her instantly. Could you just say a little bit about how that character evolved from getting the script to how she came out on screen? Oh, well, um, Abby was here. Abby Morgan, the writer, was here, but I think she may have... Yeah, she's gone. Um, well, you know, Goldie was pretty fully formed in terms of script when I, when I got her. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really improvise anything. Um, so... Abby wrote, Abby wrote her, mm. um, and then I suppose you bring whatever you bring to it, and we had an amazing director called Jessica Hobbs. I think a big difference, actually, was that we had an all-female an all team. Mm. It's such a rare thing. Our exec, um, our producer, our director, and our writer were all women. I cannot think of the last set I've been on when that's happened, as well as, obviously, all the leading roles were female. It made a big difference to how how you felt actually walking on the set, how the freedom you had to... Well, you had a shorthand, actually, that's what it was. Um, and also the kind of director that Jess is, that she, she makes you stay natural but go really deep. And so it was, she, you know, often her note to me was, you don't have to do so much. Mm. It's there, because you've been there. Just find that bit of yourself, because you're a woman and you know what it's like. <laughs> so you don't have to telegraph it, just let it come out. So I think that really did make a difference to, you know, the depth of the performances. Were a lot of people surprised? I mean, if, if you are very familiar with Mira's work, you know that it hasn't been comedy all the way. But for a lot of people, they might know you from your comedy work. Jeff, you had a lot of people come up to you and say... I had no idea that you could do things like that. Have you had a lot of that off the set? Uh, fair amount, mm. but I'm guessing none of those people go to the theatre. No, precisely. People who don't go to the theatre yeah, yeah. or people who haven't seen yeah. would... I think a lot of people might have been surprised. Yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's always surprising, isn't it? Because you don't know when you do it. You're She's honestly, wonderful. You honestly don't know until it's finished and you, you, 
people either say nothing or they, they do say something. But, yeah, I mean, I'm doing a lot of... I was in quite a lot of dramatic roles in the theatre, but yeah. it's, it is harder to get that when, you've, when you're known for comedy. Yeah. You, have to, you have to work a lot harder on screen to persuade people that you're not just in that. Well, yeah, you've yeah. done it. Um, and um, I have said this before, but you, the uh, woman that you play in the brilliant Radio 4 series, the what, is, is she, what sort of officer is she, actually? When she's the she's DC Jackie Hartwell, and she's a family liaison officer, thank you very much, <laughs> in Birmingham. Um, and we're on our 10th series. I know. It's crazy. No, but I can't yeah. believe that that has not been made into a TV They are trying. I mean, they've been trying for a long time. Because we were racking our brains yesterday. I was mm. on a panel that was talking about Asian representation in TV to find a female or a male lad TV show or movie right now. None of us could think of anything. Mm. And I think she, Jackie, would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like Eeyore, isn't she? The idea of an Eeyore character being the lead character. Oh, I don't know. I, was, I don't know who did it. I'm not really bothered. Yeah. Um, it's so fantastic. The anti-policewoman. Yeah. And it's the um, defective detective. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, mean, I feel like I'm just in a living room having a chat now. <laughs> I've no idea whether we're meant to wrap up. Are we or meant not. to wrap? Are we <laughs> Any more questions for Mira? We can take one last question if anybody has it. I can't see anybody. Well, then it just remains for me to thank you so much, Mira Fowl, for bringing this film back to some of our attention and introducing it to a whole lot of other people. Thank you to BAFTA, and may you go from strength to strength. Mira Sayal, everybody.